Thank you. You can be seated. We are uh, concluding our series on the book of Ezekiel, where we've thought through uh, some of the important themes uh, from that book. And we've been in this series for two months, so uh, eight weeks in Ezekiel. I told some friends of mine in preaching that I was doing that, and they said, why? That's crazy. Um, but it's a book that I think has some, some really important themes for us to think about. I hope you've enjoyed this series as I have, preparing it and, and thinking through it. Ezekiel is written by Ezekiel the prophet, who has this message for the people of God as they find themselves in exile in a very difficult time and space. They find themselves removed from their territory. They are away from their homeland. They don't know when they're ever going to go back, if they ever will get to go back. And then, as Ezekiel has written, the temple is destroyed. So what do you do as the people of God when the place that you worship God and how you thought you were supposed to worship God is now gone. And it would be a little bit of a parallel for us to think about like our, our church building being destroyed, but that's not even close because we don't think of our buildings. It isn't instructed and built in the ways that some of the Old Testament tells them to, to worship. So they are wondering, is God even with us anymore? Is God here and that's why I think Ezekiel is really important to think through because the prophets and some of those in the second half of the Old Testament that are, are written about exactly what is going on during this time helps us to think through some seasons in life that we're going to face. Because if you haven't had a season of exile in your life or you've struggled and asked God hard questions, then congratulations, you're going to have one sometime soon. There's going to be times when you're wondering, you know, God, are you even there? Do you hear my prayers? This thing that I really was praying about for a long time, like it's not happening? Or really, this thing that I've kind of brought my entire faith on, and I didn't realize it until it got taken away from me, and now I feel like, what am I supposed to do? How do you worship God in a faraway land? I loved our time together last week where we thought through the theme of exile because one thing that I hope that you never forget as we walk away from this series is that faith doesn't always resolve. That oftentimes I think we can come together and we can share in communion and we can sing um, these songs, even like the one we just sang. You know, even though you give and take away, blessed be your name. That's a hard thing to say, isn't it? I mean, it's easy when everyone else is singing it. We can be like, yeah, blessed be your name, and clap to that. But wow, it's actually hard when you're trying to live it out. That God, I'm still going to worship you even when things don't come together. When there's these things that are really hard that I'm struggling with. And I hope as you think about the book of Ezekiel and what it means for us, I hope you'll always remember that just because you're going through a season of exile, first of all, you aren't alone. There are many people who are in that journey with you every time you come to church. And even if the preacher can sometimes make you feel like, oh, after 25 minutes I can solve a problem in your life, I hope you realize that faith isn't always like that. That there's going to be some seasons for you that are going to be some long walks and some struggles. But that doesn't mean that God is not with you. Because one of the most beautiful images from the book of Ezekiel is that the Spirit of God goes to the people in exile. So I hope you'll always think of that. And we've done this seven weeks walking through 
this book, and I hope I've appropriately built up the tension because there's a lot of doom and gloom in Ezekiel. There's a lot of chapters, and you're kind of like, all right, God, get on with it a little bit. But then towards the end of the book, Ezekiel very strangely, I think, moves to hope. And he sees this vision, which is one of the the most interesting, I think, visions in all of Scripture that uh, Janelle read uh, for us earlier. And I'm going to read a bit of it again right here. Ezekiel 37, 1 and 2 says, The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around and among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. And he's trying to paint this picture of this is not just dead. This is like dead and gone. Everything is stripped from these bones. The buzzards have have come through. Uh, This is a really dead group. This isn't like bodies that just recently died. This is fossils. They are completely dried out. And as Ezekiel would have shared this vision with the people in Israel who find themselves in exile, they would have raised their hand and they would have said, that's us. That's us right now. We are in a faraway land. We may never, most of us, are never going to go back home. This is us as we think about our relationship with God, our faith, where we're at right now, we are completely parched. We know sometimes, I think, when it comes to walking in faith with Christ and trying to follow God with our lives, we know what it's like to be in some seasons like that. I know what it's like to preach sometimes to some dry bones. As a minister, the first church that I worked with, I've talked about it many times, it was a small church, about 15 people, 40 minutes outside of Abilene, Texas, and Abilene, Texas is nowhere, so it's even outside of nowhere. And in this group of 15 people, there was one guy who every Sunday that I preached, he looked out the window the entire sermon. And it was very hard for like a young preacher, like, come on, like, what do I have to do to get your interest? I'm just doing everything up here, juggling, doing whatever I got to do to try and get you to, to look at me. But the entire time, he would just look out the window. And I would always just think, man, how how can I revive that dry bone? How can I move on that? How can I get his attention? And as I've continued in ministry, I recognize that, you know, sometimes people are doing different things. Sometimes people are sleeping, but that's okay. That happened to Paul, too. So uh, I join in uh, Paul in that. And so sometimes you can think, I think if we're honest, as we come together, you know, is God among us? Is God's presence still with us? I think we can ask that question from time to time. And Ezekiel sees this extremely stark vision. It's not just like kind of sort of dead. This is like really, really dead. But yet, there's this message of hope. Speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, Dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. 
I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you. You will come to life. Then you will know that I'm the Lord. So I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly, as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones. Then skin came to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the wind, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel, just in case the people of Israel didn't get it. They are saying, we have become old dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore, Prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I will open up your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I'll bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, oh, my people, you will know that I'm the Lord. I will put my spirit in you and you will live again and return home to your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done what I have said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. This is an extraordinary vision. Again, for a book that is extremely dark and has chapter upon chapter upon chapter of judgment and doom and difficulty and hard stuff, and they find themselves in this really difficult circumstance, there's this beautiful picture of hope that springs up at the end which I think is so profound and significant. And obviously, we can see this as Christians through the lens of Jesus a little bit, which we'll talk more about next week, because next week we'll think more about Easter. This is something that we can say amen to and say, praise God, this is a wonderful vision. And we've all had moments like that, I would say, probably in our lives, where we've walked through some really difficult stuff, and then we get a little bit to the other side, and we say, God, thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you that this new life has come up in us. Thank you that there's this new way that I now see. But I think the process of getting to that, I think, is subtly in this passage. The word that appears over and over and over again is the Hebrew word ruah. Can you say that with me? Ruah. And ruah um, can mean like kind of three different things. It can be translated breath, spirit, and wind. It's a, a word that is very complicated and in fact has a bunch of debate between like what exactly the Spirit of God means from the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, you can nerd out uh, on that some other time. But the word uh, ruah, it is this understanding of like spirit and, and breath and wind, and it's a word that is very, very fascinating. But generally, I would say we don't associate those words all that much. But in the Greek, they do as well. The Greek word pneuma means breath and spirit. It's kind of this similar concept. But I would say generally in our modern mindset, we think of something like breath and something like spirit pretty differently, right? Like we would define breath as like a, a concrete function almost like the operating system behind a computer. You know, it's like just something that you don't even think about. You didn't wake up and think, oh, I really want to breathe today. You just did. And while you were sleeping, you didn't think about breathing. You just did it. It's a bodily function that happens. And then on the other hand, we would think of spirit as like kind of this esoteric, abstract thing that is mysteriously part of us, but it's hard for us to define exactly what it is. This is probably a good conversation topic over lunch. Talk about breath and spirit. That'd be uh, fun to try and figure that out. 
But in these languages, in Hebrew and in Greek, they're more synonymous and they're more intermingled. And actually, in our English understanding of this, there's a little bit more to that as well. The English word where we um, get spirit from is from the Latin word spiritus, which is from an older Latin word spiriti, which is a word that we use to use the, the word respirate. So just getting breath in and out. So even though we generally think of these as somewhat different things. If you go back and kind of the etymology uh, of some of this stuff, they're more closely related even in our language uh, than we would like to admit, perhaps. And as you think about it, they're pretty closely related terms, aren't they? Like spirit and breath. In the Hebrew mindset, in the Greek mindset, it was a pretty similar thing. And maybe we would say, yeah, it's pretty close, right? I mean, the spirit that you have, it comes with your breath. It's something that is, is every time you breathe in and out, it keeps your spirit and you alive. And as this passage shows us that God says, okay, I'm going to like raise this army up. And one of the things I'm going to do in that is I'm going to give them breath. I think what this passage is maybe helping us to think about is the fact that the breath that we have is a blessing from God. And if you are watching the news later tonight and they tell you about some fantastic lottery that's like $400 million and you should all go buy a ticket, Uh, maybe you should, but probably you won't win. But maybe as you think about the lottery and something that we talk about from time to time, every time the jackpot gets really huge, Maybe you should instead think, all right, there's that lottery out there, but I am the winner of the greatest lottery ever known. Because I right now am alive and breathing. And that's a gift. And I don't want to be too morbid, but I don't know when it's going to end. I don't know how much longer I have. I mean, my body sometimes feels like I'm 70, so I don't really know. The process from like 30 to 35 has been hard on me. But while you breathe in and while you breathe out, I think the scriptures would say you are the winner of the greatest lottery ever known. Because every day that you have, you have unbelievable potential to use your time and your breath to do good things. If you're looking for God, I think this passage would have us think you have to look no further than beneath your nose, which is hard to do. You have to kind of sneak up on it. But but when you think about this concept, this is saying that this dead valley, this hopeless-looking valley that looks like there's just no possibility, no hope, God breathes into them. When you breathe in and out, you breathe in and out the blessing and the presence of God. You have great potential, great hope. Tomorrow could be the start of a whole new thing. In fact, right now could be the start of a whole new thing. You could just leave and start a new thing right now if you wanted to. I don't want you to because there's more to talk about. Every single moment that we have is full of potential. 
I love watching my son Carter play with dirt. He absolutely loves dirt. And every time that rain has happened, his first thing once the rain has stopped is he wants to go out in the backyard and find worms. We found one of the biggest worms we ever found on Thursday afternoon. It was just gigantic. And it's just so fun to watch him just sit there and play with dirt. Isn't it interesting that kids just seem to love dirt? They love playing with it. They love getting dirty. They just don't mind it at all. They can just play in it for hours. And then we just say, please, like, wipe your shoes off. Usually with him, we just like strip him all the way down before he comes in the house because he's just, just a complete disaster after going out into the backyard and spending time doing that. But I think generally, like, we kind of move away from that as we get older. Maybe you work with dirt, but for the most part, we generally move away from that stuff. I think it's interesting that kids, like, universally love just getting dirty, and they don't really mind it. I wonder if it's because they're a little bit closer to the understanding of what we actually are. Because dirt, here's a little bit of dirt that I found in our yard behind our church. Dirt is just a mixture of water, carbon, hydrogen, and trace amounts of different minerals. The body is water, carbon, hydrogen, and trace amounts of different chemicals. When we bring Carter in and he's just caked with mud all over, we're just washing dirt off dirt. And what separates all of us from this is simply breath. Churches which focus more on like the, the church calendar have been going through the season of Lent, and they focused around the, the verse that um, you were formed from dust, and to dust you will return. Which I think is a bit of a hard thing for us sometimes, but I think it's also really good to think of Swedish death cleaning every once in a while. To recognize that the difference between me and this is something that I don't control. And I don't know how many more breaths I have. And there will be a point where I will return to this and nobody will invite me over to their house anymore. I mean, maybe you will be cremated and you might like have a shrine in someone's home, but nobody wants you to come out then at that party. I mean, you might, you might be there, but... dust, we will return. And that's a bit of a, a morbid thought in some ways, but I think it's helpful. Because all the breaths that you've been taking, even as I've been speaking, I believe they are a gift from God. And that you have opportunity to do with your life what God calls you to do. And oftentimes when it, we think about resurrection and we think about the, the hope that we have, what we live for, what we are desiring, I think we can have a, a real like forward thinking anticipation. We think about, you know, being united with God someday, and that's a beautiful thing. But what I think this passage is, is trying to help the Israelites think about is something that happened at the very beginning. 
And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. What I think this passage in Ezekiel is trying to get the Israelites to think about is yes, even though you are in exile, even though it's extremely difficult for you, you don't know when you're going to go back home. And to be honest, some of you are going to die here. But even in these moments, as you breathe in and breathe out, recognize that this is a gift from God. And God can help you to rise above even difficult circumstances and seasons of exile if you'll think about it in the appropriate ways. We can become so focused on like this future and think about the ways that, you know, I'm going to get, things are going to be so much better once I get to the other side and once I'm reunited with God. And I think on some level that's true, but we can so easily become enamored by the prospect of what will happen someday that we miss God in the right now. That we miss the opportunities that we have because of the God-given breath that we've been given. And then another question that I think we need to think about is, okay, let's say that you're just thinking about that future. Why on earth do you think you'll be able to appreciate the next life if you can't appreciate this one? Why do you think that, like, oh, it's just going to get better and everything's going to be perfect, so then I'll be able to appreciate it at that point? Why can't, how are you even going to be able to recognize God if you can't find God here? I was so touched by uh, what Miriam shared last week and her journey with her health concerns, which she's still not out of the woods of at all yet. I and mean, for the last six months, she's been uh, really struggling. And it was interesting to hear her share about how she's had some really down and difficult moments during this, but she said as she has gone through this, there's been, and this is the word she used, she said there's been mercies that she's experienced. That while she's been at some of her lowest points, she's heard birds chirping in the distance. Or as she has been walking through some really difficult stuff and really got to a point that she was feeling close to death, It's helped her to recognize how much of a gift her life is. As imperfect and as broken as it is. And what makes you think that you're going to appreciate the next life if you can't appreciate this one? What makes you think that you're going to love your family and friends in the next life if your Christmas dinners are always awkward, you don't really love them? What makes you think that you're going to embrace a world that is built on grace and forgiveness if you can't do it right now? There's a theologian who says that God's going to let everyone into heaven who can stand it. And if you're a racist, you're not going to like it there. And if you're someone who's selfish, you're not going to want to be there. So may we allow God to work on us right now. Even as we struggle with pain and brokenness and imperfect relationships, which we can blame on other people, but we're also a part of. May we think about how even though our health isn't perfect and we have loved ones who we miss, may we still find God, the mercies of God and the birds that chirp. 
the mercies of God in the breath that we take. There's a, a parable that a minister tells about how there's this great banquet that is placed before you. And think about the, the favorite foods that you have, whatever it is for you that would be like the primo spread. For me, it would include the Fuddruckers cheese sauce, which I can't eat too often anymore, but uh, the Fuddruckers cheese sauce, uh, my wife's pumpkin muffins, uh, my, my mom's French dip sandwiches, those things would uh, boil to the surface as some of the things that I would really enjoy. But what is it for you that you would say, you know, this is like the meal that I want to have? And you have this meal right before you and even cause you to salivate a little bit just thinking about it because it's just so good. Maybe it's something that a loved one used to make who's not here anymore, but you get to have it in this moment. And then the the host of this great banquet comes over to you and says, oh, and by the way, you get to have this every day until you die. And you're so excited about the fact that this is never going to run out and that you get to have it every single day that you don't eat the food that's in front of you right now. You let it rot. And don't appreciate this feast that is at your table. I think this is the gift that we've been given. And for people who find themselves in a difficult season, this vision comes to Ezekiel to remind them that God, yes, will one day resurrect all people, but he's also, I think, reminding them back to the breath that God first gave them. And he's saying, cherish that in this moment right now. Because as you find yourself in slavery, as you find yourself away from your homeland, they can take a lot of things from you, but they aren't going to be able to take your breath. They aren't going to be able, or they might be able to take your breath, but they aren't going to be able to take the joy that you can find even in this moment. When Jesus is raised from the dead and reunites with his disciples, there's this really interesting verse that happens. It says this in John chapter 20. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, which is a bit of a weird thing. And maybe the disciples are thinking, man, you've been in the tomb for a few days. Take a breath mint first. But um, he breathes on them. It's a weird moment, right, that he's re-engaging his disciples and, and giving them this recommissioning, and he breathes on them and says, receive this spirit. I think he breathes on them to help them learn to really breathe. And the disciples, actually, they have some pretty rough things that come in the future. Most traditions say that many of them died for their faith. But as Jesus breathes on them, I think he's teaching them to breathe. He's teaching them to understand what it truly means that they have opportunity, that they have a gift that is in front of them every single moment. Now, that doesn't mean for them, and it doesn't mean for us, that things are going to be perfect that things are, are going to just immediately get better. But how are we ever going to appreciate the someday if we can't find God's blessing and opportunity right here and right now? As I said last week, it's likely, we don't really know for sure, but it's probable that Ezekiel himself 
dies in exile. It isn't until another 50 years that after he's had this vision that the people of Israel get to go back. So Ezekiel would be something like 110 to be able to have made that. It's likely he didn't go. But I hope that on the days that he continued to live out in this season of exile, that he remembered this vision that God had given him, that God was breathing new life and new hope. Because a vision that starts, that is very clearly telling us, like these bones aren't just like a little bit dead. These bones aren't like dead for a few hours. These bones are very, 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 very dead and very dry. But through the Spirit of God, God is raising them up. What in you, what in your life, needs the Spirit of God again? Where does God's presence need to be more active? Where maybe do you just simply need to hope again? What do you need to look at with a different perspective? Because everything about your situation in your life is saying, well, that thing is dead, that thing has no hope, that thing can't move forward. But that's exactly what Ezekiel would have said about this valley of bones, and it's exactly what the nation of Israel would have said about the situation that they were in. But God reminds them, and I think reminds us, that with every breath is a new possibility. And we choose whether or not to lean into that hope or not. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for the breath that you've given us. We're thankful for the life that we have. It is a gift, and we cherish it. I pray that we wouldn't be people who just think about this great beyond and how good it's going to be someday that we would strive to bring your kingdom into the here and now. That we would truly ask, God, what are you calling me to do? Who are you calling me to be right here and right now? Not because we have to, but because it's the best possibility for our lives. May we recognize this week, every single morning as we wake up, the gift that you've given us of another day and the thousands of gifts you give us every single day as we breathe. In your son's great name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.